Mumonkan Case 48, Kempo's One Way, The Case. A monk asked Master Kempo in all earnestness, in a sutra it says, Ten Direction Bhagavats, One Way to the Gate of Nirvana. I wonder, where is the way? Kempo lifted up his stick, drew a line, and said, here it is. Later, a monk asked Umon to give instruction about this. Umon held up his fan and said, this fan jumps up to the 33rd heaven and hits the nose of the deity there. When the carp in the eastern sea is struck with a stick, it rains torrents as though a tray of water is overturned. Mumon's commentary. One goes to the bottom of the deepest sea, heaving sand and raising dust. The other stands on the top of the highest mountain and causes white waves to billow up to the sky. On the one hand, they are gripping it tightly. On the other hand, they are letting it loose. So, Each of them extends a single hand, and together they support the essential principle. It is just like two runners colliding. In this world, there is no one who has realized the truth completely. Examining with the true eye, I find that neither of the old masters knows where the way is. The verse. Before a step is taken, the goal is reached. Before the tongue has moved, the speech is finished. Though you may take the initiative Point by point, there is still the all-surpassing whole. Good afternoon. So today is the second day of this wondrous summer session, Jukai summer session of 2006. And our seven Jukai students are sitting in the two front rows. 
and all of you who have already taken Jukai are sitting in deep encouragement for these students and those of you who plan to take Dukai next summer are sitting just like this monk in all earnestness. What is it? Where is it? And those of you who have only come to session a couple of times, not too many, who are still thinking, hmm, Jukai, what about that? Maybe next life. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get you. (laughs) So as you may recall, yesterday, uh, two, two days ago, we started in the evening with great Dharma thunder. And I said, a very auspicious beginning. Could not be more auspicious. And every now and then, when we have natural air in the zendo and during kinin, we appreciate so deeply the sounds of Syracuse in late July. Cicadas. And someone said, after Diamond Sutra chanting, there was this silence, and then all the cicadas joyously chanting, picking up where we left off, leading us to the next passage. Sometimes it seems as though what we read in these koan or in the sutras may seem, may seem what we call esoteric. But what could be more esoteric than the voice of the cicadas? Far more esoteric than any sutra. Do you speak the language? This Sazen. One way language. More and more clearly we can understand. 
minutely subtle. We call it silence, but mysterious vibration of moon. Someone said scientists have determined that there is a certain pitch to the universe. So here we are in the midst of this magical valley. Magical dump trucks. Sirens, air conditioners, fans. All sentient and insentient beings preaching this wondrous way. Get it? Wondrous way. We sometimes try to find words for it. This experience. And we may say, oh, it's so beautiful. Or we may say, it's wonderful. But as I said to one of you at some point, real, true, only word we can use is emptiful. So emptiful. It's truly emptiful, this. Everything is freely giving itself to us. Indeed, what more need we seek? We can feel this every now and then when we get out of the way. We can feel this support. Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, these treasures are conveyed in the soft, barely felt caress of a breeze while walking, the creek rushing along at its pace, just the right pace, different from the way it was a hundred years ago, of course, but just as it is. I was sitting on the porch 
when was it? I don't know. Recently, you were all somewhere else. And looking out over the cars, the trees, the creek, our neighbor, the school across the way, cars passing. And, you know, this year we have been in this place 10 years. And as you all know, in four years, the Foreman House will be 200 years old. And I was sitting there thinking, what was it like after Joshua Foreman finally finished building that house? To sit there and look out. The creek then, mm, quite different, meandering along and forming pools and sometimes flooding. Beautiful gardens. No school, no highway, no cars, no airplanes, no dump trucks, no AC. Just. Even those trees weren't there. Is this esoteric? One time, one way, 200 years. What about tomorrow? What about the year? 2,206. So we tend to differentiate between what we might call the pragmatic world and the esoteric world that lies in some text, some mystical Dharanis or something. And we say things are just phenomena. We say, oh, these temporary forms, well, we don't think they're temporary when they're forms like pain or sweat. But then we remind ourselves, oh yes, at least by Monday, it will have become temporary. And yet, every now and then, in fact, more often as the days and sittings go on, we may be surprised by something that seems to break through the usual dualistic view. And we hear cicadas. And we understand. What? The 
branches are saying as they rustle in the barest of summer breezes. And we find that, yes, that's not a question of figuring it out at all. Yes, we speak the same language, same, very same language. This is a remarkable Jukai class. I've said this before, and I don't want their heads to get too swollen, but well, then let me qualify it by saying every Jukai class is wonderful. (laughs) But this group of seven, group of seven, it has a ring to it, right? So one of them asked me, thinking about the 10th precept, how do I honor Buddha, Dharma, Sangha? How do I esteem them? It's not so different, really, from this monk asking Master Kempo in all earnestness. I wonder, where is the way? How do I follow it? How do I uphold Buddha, Dharma, Sangha? Of course, there is nothing we can do. We take the precepts, we say this, right? There is nothing. What is this one way of Jukai? No external doing can begin to honor Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. So, all right, you may say nothing external, nothing I can do externally. What about internally? What about looking at what goes on in my zazen? I'm sure all of you have been paying close attention to this. What's going on in my zazen? What is it? What's happening in my mind? Right? Noticing things, noticing patterns. And especially noticing the strong desire for relief from heat, for relief from pain, for relief from sleepiness. Right? It's kind of a mantra all its own. (laughs) 
every now and then, boop. <laughs> when is the sitting going to end? When is the sitting going to end? Boop. When is the sitting going to end? When is the sitting? It's very strong. This wish to be elsewhere, to find some measure of comfort, some kind of distraction from what's going on. And of course, we all read together the great way, the one way, is not difficult, has no difficulties. You remember? Only problem is we like one thing and don't like another. We like, ah, finally we get to corpse pose. (laughs) (laughs) But think about it. When you finally get, some of you, some of us may get a diagnosis of corpse pose sooner than we want to. (laughs) I was at Daibasatsu Zendo for an anniversary session and uh, really great. It's always so great to be there and having two Roshis Yamakawa Sogen Roshi giving Teisho and Doksan along with Edo Roshi really quite quite a time. Very long sittings and so I got this injury in my knee and I thought well maybe I'll be out of commission and someone else can lead summer session at Hoenji. (laughs) Or I'll be out of commission and lead summer session at ONG. So this kind of thing, you know, we think, oh, well, I really want to just get to yoga and lie out there and be dead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hmm, (laughs) your time will come. (laughs) But the point is that Finding, you know, seeking after these external changes is not really bringing us the deep comfort. Someone came to me and said, you know, for the first time I feel some comfort. Oh, it's so wonderful. Very different from, oh, great, air conditioning or shower. Very different. This is not a matter of external circumstances finally getting into just the right balance for that very moment. Ah, life is good. Oh, then something else happens. We can't depend on any external changes. All we can depend on is that things will get worse. Don't look at me like that. It's true. Look at our planet. 
And we say, well, this heat is not natural. Uh, well, what is natural? What have we done, we natural beings? And no doubt about it, each one of us will die. So I'm not being morbid. I'm just saying if we fasten our hopes on any external circumstances, we are doomed. If we deeply realize this great matter of life and death, we will never die. Now this, you may also say, is esoteric. Okay. Maybe so. So, whatever we do just creates new problems. Any external doing just creates new problems. Look, the Army Corps of Engineers said, oh, you have flooding here. We'll take care of that for you. And they made a channel, right? And now we have a creek that runs very fast and has all kinds of problems. It's basically used as a sewer. That, that was their answer to an external problem. We're always doing this. We are always channelizing our lives, thinking, oh, yeah, I know how to do that. I'll get rid of that. So how do we honor Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha? By channelizing? Manipulating our circumstances? No, by now you know the answer is no. <laughs> There is only one way, the koan today, one way. A monk asked Master Kempo in all earnestness. This all earnestness is very important. We have a room full of experts here. All of you are remarkably good at what you do. Right? Well, you might not say so, but we'll say so for you. <laughs> All kinds of experts. Some of you have websites. Some of you get paid a lot of money to speak. <laughs> in all earnestness we must come to our practice in all earnestness to this moment on the cushion in all earnestness over and over again what what where where is the way? And so this monk had read the Surangama Sutra and knew this statement. 
Ten Direction Bhagavats, One Way to the Gate of Nirvana. This may sound somewhat mystifying. Ah. Ten Direction, probably you know Ten Directions, anybody? Go ahead. Maybe the two of you. Right, so today we heard in the Diamond Sutra the nadir and zenith, right? Nadir, zenith. And north, northeast, south, southeast, what, west, northwest. Anyway, we get around ten directions, right? Ten direction Bhagavats. What about these Bhagavats? Probably you would like to know, so I looked it up. Bhagavats. Well, it's Sanskrit for one who is holy and noble and exalted and omniscient and liberated and wise. In other words, Buddhas. Sanskrit term, Buddhas. All right? So all these Buddhas in the Ten Directions, in this sutra it says, Ten Direction Bhagavats, one way. In other words, no matter where they are in the Ten Directions, all these Buddhas, there is only one way to Nirvana. Surangana Sutra says so. Buddha Shakyamuni said so in this sutra. Okay? So this may sound like, oh, there's only one way. There's only one true path. There's only one true religion. Right? We get a lot of that these days, don't we? Yeah. Now, what do you think? There's only one way. The Zen way. <laughs> What's it mean when we hear such a thing? The only way. One way. How do we honor Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha? What is this one way to truly live the precepts? So Master Rinzai can tell us a little bit about that. He has a verse that goes like this. If you love the sacred and hate the secular, you will float and sink in the ocean of life and death. Delusions exist because they depend on the mind. If you are in no mind, mushin, one way, delusions won't disturb you. Without bothering to discriminate or cling to form, you will naturally attain the way in no time. Naturally, this 
is what session is all about. No superfluous efforts or striving or comparison or judgment. This is very hard for us, isn't it? Judgment comes so naturally. We're really the masters of a kind of, well, it's different for everyone, but many, many people are very harsh with themselves. And we cannot do this practice unless we can see how unnecessary this is. This is the learned behavior, learned, continually learned behavior. This kind of harshness is learned behavior that we must look at, see from the beginning. Where does it come from? All of us are so sure that we're continually failing at this project of becoming Buddhas. If I ask for a show of hands, I, I won't, but anyway, I think it's very common. But as I said to someone earlier, we have to remember that Shakyamuni Buddha was asked this question. Is part of your teaching about love and compassion? And he said, no. The whole of my teaching is about love and compassion. And Hakuin said, sentient beings, Buddhas, because you are sentient being already, Buddha. And the Dalai Lama said, when asked about his religion, said, my religion is kindness. That's all. Love and compassion. Already Buddha. Kindness. It's perhaps difficult to believe. But as Pema Chodron said, start where you are. Start where you are, right here. Start. So, Master Kempo answered this questioner, by lifting up his stick 
and drawing a line. Where is the way? Here it is. Where is the way? Here it is. Where are you sitting? What line are you on? How long is your line? How thick? Where does it begin and end? What is your line? It's pretty simple, isn't it? Line starts right here. You're already online. (laughs) Later, a monk, perhaps hearing about this, went to Umon. So I wanted to tell you a little bit, just a little bit about this scenario. In terms of where this comes in the Mumon Khan, it's the end. It's the end of the line. Case 48. Bet you thought we'd never get there. <laughs> and Kempo, Kempo Zenji, really, we don't know anything about. We don't even know his full name. All we know is that he was a disciple of. Tozan Yokai Zenji, who founded, was one of the founders of Soto School of Zen. So here we are at the end of the Mumon Khan with Master Kempo, about whom we know just about nothing, and Master Umon Bunen, about whom we know a lot one of the greatest Zen masters of all time, had his own school, the Umon school, which died out after a couple of hundred years. He died around 949, so almost 100 years after Rinzai. And there are many, many koans about Umon in both Mumon Khan and Hekigan Roku. And some of you know One is Tozan going to Umon, and Umon's 60 blows. Another is Umon's golden wind revealed. Another is Umon's every day is a good day. And every sitting is a Good sitting. Believe this. And what is Buddha? Shit stick. This is great Zen master, Umon. So what does Umon say when the monk comes and asks about this line from the Surangama Sutra? Umon holds up his fan and said, This fan jumps up to the 33rd heaven and hits the nose of the deity there. When the carp in the eastern sea is struck with a stick, it rains torrents as though a tray of water is overturned. 
It's very helpful, right? <laughs> Such a fanciful remark from Umon Zenji, quite different from shit stick. Playful. How delightful this answer. Allow yourself to be this jumping fan, the 33rd heaven. Where's the 33rd heaven? <coughs> so if you don't know, if you don't know with your wonderfully developed body of knowledge, what's that mean? Very high up. And it means that you don't know. Congratulations. Already you can start to enter this. Already you can understand this by not knowing. And it hits the nose of the de- ouch! <laughs> Direct hit. Beyond our, beyond the highest, beyond what we can imagine to be the highest. Direct hit. This is what we're doing in our zazen. Here! In this miasma of self-pity. Right in the midst of it. Direct it. When the carp in the eastern sea is struck with a stick. There is some story, some kind of legend about the carp becoming a dragon, but not to worry. Again, we don't know. The eastern sea, the carp in the eastern sea. What is the um, saying about when a butterfly flaps its wings in the Philippines or something like that in the Andes and there's a typhoon in the Philippines something like that, right? Huh? Something like So you understand how this works this is activity it's the principle the essence being revealed in activity You may feel, oh yes, this perfect freedom of Umon's reply. Nothing stuck when act, just act. There is one more reading I want to do from Rinzai about this, and that is on 
creativity. Someone asked, what is genuine insight? The master said, just enter the secular, enter the sacred, enter the defiled, enter the pure, enter the lands of the Buddhas, enter the tower of Maitreya, and enter the Dharmadhatu of Vairochana. Every land is revealed, coming into being, continuing, decaying, and passing into emptiness. The Buddha appears in this world, turns the great Dharma wheel, and then enters Parinirvana. However, nobody can see the form of his coming and going. If we search for his life and death, in the end, we can never find it. Entering the Dharma realm of the unborn, traveling throughout every land, entering the world of the lotus womb, and realizing that all dharmas are but empty forms. Nothing has its own substance. There is only the person who, not relying on anyone, listens to the dharma. She is the mother of the Buddhas. Therefore, Buddhas are born from non-reliance. If you truly awaken to that non-reliance, you will discover that Buddhahood is nothing special to attain. Insight such as this is genuine insight. So the fan jumps up to the 33rd heaven, hits the nose, and then realizing that all dharmas are but empty forms, nothing has its own substance. This person, that means you, listening here, not relying on anyone, not relying on any words. Listen. You are the mother of the Buddhas. And awakening to this, you'll discover it's nothing special. Just the carp in the eastern sea struck with a stick and letting loose torrential rain. So tomorrow we will go into Mumon's commentary and verse.